0: Joshua 7 I'm going to read Um, I may emphasize things in a certain way because I'm going to talk about it in a certain way Um, but I will read and try not to add too many edits in there Joshua 7 but the people of Israel broke faith in regard to the devoted things for Achan, that's how you actually say his name not Achan, Achan the son of Kami, son of Zabdi son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took some of the devoted things, and the anger of the Lord burned against the people of Israel. Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is near Beth-Avon, east of Bethel, and said to them, go up and spy out the land. And the men went up and spied out Ai. And they returned to Joshua and said to him, don't have all the people go up, but let maybe two or three thousand men go up and attack Ai. Don't make the whole people toil up there for their few. So, about three thousand men went up there from the people and they fled before the men of Ai. And the men of Ai killed about 36 of their men and chased them before the gate as far as Shebarim and struck them at the descent. And the hearts of the people melted and became as water. Then Joshua tore his clothes and fell to the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord until the evening. And he and the elders of Israel, they put dust on their heads. And Joshua said, Alas, O Lord, why have you brought this people over the Jordan at all to give us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us? Would that we had been content to dwell before the Jordan. Oh Lord, what can I say when Israel has turned their backs before their enemies? For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land will hear of it and will surround us and cut off our name from the earth. And what will you do for your great name? And Joshua, the Lord said to Joshua, get up. Why have you fallen on your face? He said, Israel has sinned. They have transgressed my covenant that I commanded them. They have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen and lied and put them among their own belongings. Therefore, the people of Israel cannot stand before their enemies. They turn their backs before their enemies because they have become devoted for destruction. They have become devoted for destruction. I will be with you no more unless you destroy the devoted things from among you, get up. Consecrate the people and say, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow, for thus says the Lord God of Israel, there are devoted things in your midst, O Israel. You cannot stand before your enemies until you take away the devoted things from among you. And in the morning, therefore, you shall be brought near by your tribes. And the tribe... That the Lord takes by lot shall come near by clans. And the clan that the Lord takes shall come near by households. And the household that the Lord takes shall come near man by man. And he who is taken with the devoted things shall be burned with fire. He and all that he has because he has transgressed the covenant of the Lord. And because he has done an outrageous thing in Israel. So Joshua rose early in the morning and brought Israel near tribe by tribe, and the tribe of Judah was taken. And he brought near the clans of Judah, and the clan of the Zerahites was taken. And he brought near the clan of the Zerahites, man by man, and Zabdi was taken. And he brought near the household, man by man, and Achan, the son of Kami, son of Zabdi, son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, was taken. And then Joshua said to Achan, my son, give glory to the Lord God of Israel and give praise to him. And tell me now what you have done. Do not hide it from me. And Achan answered Joshua, truly, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel. And this is what I did. When I saw among the spoil a beautiful cloak from Shinar and 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels, I coveted them and I took them. I saw, I coveted, and I took them. And see, they are hidden in the earth, inside my tent, with the silver underneath. And they took them out of the tent and brought them to Joshua and to all the people of Israel. And they laid them down before the Lord and Joshua and all of Israel with him took Achan, the son of Zerah, and the silver and the cloak and the bar of gold and his sons and his daughters and his oxen and his donkeys and his sheep and his tent and all that he had. And they brought them to the valley of Achor. And Joshua said, why did you bring trouble on us? The Lord brings trouble on you today. And all Israel stoned him with stones. They burned him with fire, they burned them with fire, they stoned them with stones. And they raised over him a great heap of stones that remains to this day. Then the Lord turned from his burning anger. And therefore to this day, that name of that place is called the Valley of Akhor. Thanks be to God for his word. Father, we want to thank you for your word. Holy Spirit, may you speak in Jesus' name. Amen. Wow. (coughs) Happy days, not. Happy days, not. I'm aware that there are young people in the room, and hopefully I can modify this so that there's nothing that is too shocking. But God is sovereign over all the earth I'll say that again God is sovereign over all the earth he gives life he takes life away and he preserves life in between this sovereign God designed a redemptive plan for mankind that he chose to unfold through a particular chosen people in a particular chosen place And through the execution of his plan, all the peoples of the earth would know that he is the Lord. (coughs) The Lord testifies through his conquest that he alone is God. (coughs) God chose to reveal his plan, this redemptive plan, through a covenant with a man called Abraham. The chosen people were Israel, the descendants of Abraham. The chosen place, the land of Israel. There's a title deed, there's prescribed borders, everything. It is set out. The complexity was that this place was occupied. If you go back to Genesis 15, when this covenant was made, it was already, this was already the state of play. God said to Abraham, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. This is well before Joseph found a nice coat and all that. Before the dreams, before uh, Egypt, God already knew that Israel would be held captive in Egypt for 400 years. But he says, but I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterwards they shall come out with great possessions. And as for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace, you shall be buried in good age, and they shall come back here. So they were already in Canaan, they shall come back here in the fourth generation for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. Later on, he said to your offspring, I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Kadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. We call them collectively Canaanites, probably because it's the easiest one to say. So all of that lot we call Canaanites. God was patient with the persistent, detestable sin of the Amorites and others in the land for 400 years until the fourth generation. He had pre-decided in grace that's how long he was going to give them. 400 years plus a bit of time wandering around in the desert before they got to the actual land. Egypt got their portion. God brought their judgment. Each one of the ten plagues that affected Egypt confronted each one of the major Egyptian gods. Look that up. You'll see that each of them corresponds to one of the major Egyptian gods. Why? So that all would know that Lord, the Lord alone is God. Then comes the Amorites and the other Canaanites. All these people knew. They knew that He was Lord. They knew, but they chose not to repent. And so the Lord follows through with justice, and these people are marked out for elimination by this sovereign God. They are Kerem. This is a word that means devoted to destruction. Kerem. These tribes that were descended from Abraham had been brought out of Egypt that they might be the executioners of God's vengeance on these people marked out for destruction. So all that lot that came from Abraham, God designed it that they would be the vessels of the destruction and their reward would be the land as already prescribed not for some of Israel but for all of Israel for every single one they were each to be rewarded a portion of the land (coughs) I'm giving you this background so that you understand the play this is how it sits this is a God who has a plan it is all set out and we're now at this point where They've come to do the thing that the Lord had always designed for them to do. We're going to talk a little bit today about the fails of Joshua, that they would not be our fails. And then we're going to talk a little bit about the fail of Israel and see what God has done redemptively through that. Joshua, the Lord said to Joshua, Get up. Why have you fallen on your face? Israel has sinned. Joshua could be criticized for a, in a few ways, and there's a lot of commentaries on this. There's so many preachers and all sorts of things on Joshua 7. And you may have different opinions. Some people think Joshua was amazing in the way he responded, some people think he was a numpty. One thing that we know about Joshua is perhaps his prayer was a little bit too late. We have this nation of warriors that God has created to execute his justice. They start off so well. They cross the Jordan. They've done ever so well. Jericho is an amazing triumph. Absolutely hallelujah. The walls came down with just a march. <coughs> And then the next thing happens is that Joshua goes, all right, lads, let's go to the next one. Literally, just like that. Sends out two spies. They come back. He moves, perhaps in arrogance, perhaps confident in the success of Jericho. He moves on the advice of Shimuel and Bob. I don't, that's not what their names are, I don't know. These two guys. He, he, he decides that these two guys are going to be the source of his wisdom. Not on the instruction of God. What they said, however, made sense to him in his thinking. His thinking. The same thinking that mankind left on his own will think like. You see, what Joshua didn't know and what we know because we've read chapter 6 and we've read the beginning of chapter 7 when we hear a backstory, is that actually, Joshua, things were not the same as they had been in Jericho. God was so displeased that he was no longer with Israel. He leaves them to their own thinking. He leaves them to their own devices. If you read Romans chapter 1, that's a lovely description of what happens when God leaves mankind to his own devices. There's a word used called, called adokimos, that's in the Greek in the New Testament, which means that when you're examined, you're found a little bit un, not wanting. You're found wanting. Not quite up to scratch. God left us to our depravity in Romans chapter 1. It's the same type of thing that he's saying here. God leaves them to their nonsense. Okay, I'm gone now. You do what you think is best. They didn't know that had happened. So here's Joshua doing what he thinks is best. So you might criticize him and say, why didn't he think to ask God first? Why didn't he come before the Lord in prayer? Dude was on his own. He wasn't, he wasn't that Joshua who's like, oh, you know, God is with him, giving in a match. Maybe you need to call me. Maybe you need to pray. Nah, he's on his own devices. He's listening to Shemuel and Bob. I've decided that's their names. Shemuel and Bob, the two spies, they've come. They've said to him, listen, dude, there's not that many of them. Two, three thousand men, that should do it. There's not that many of them. They look really weak as well. They're a bit pale. And he goes, fine, let's do it. Three thousand guys, let's go. And they get there, and these guys come running back. Right? Israel was defeated because their sin caused the anger of the Lord to burn against them. But more importantly, God was displeased with them, so they were left to themselves. And they adopted what was a fatal policy. Church, we must never be deceived into thinking only a portion of us needs to go out against the enemy. That is complete nonsense. When you know the way that God works, that's literally like which kind of witchcraft was in his head to think that only a few of you should go. God never does that. God has never had that strategy. When we gather as a church to take ground and to hold ground, we cannot leave the battles of our Lord to be fought by a selection of troops. It cannot be just the pastors or those that are good at evangelizing or just those that are good at giving words out loud in Sunday service. The whole army of men who are made willing in the day of the Lord must go out under the command of our own divine Joshua. Together we rise to meet the enemy, together. Israel they developed this break-off policy the Lord had never demonstrated when when God directed they all went they always all went even those who already had their land on the other side of the Jordan were told that you lot well done this is your bit but you're still going because you always go together Israel inherits the land as one people. God sees one people. They always go as one people. Israel was one people. This is key. It's the key to the way God sees them. It's the key to the way God operates. It's the key to the way God blesses them. Church. That one is an easy one. I'm going to move on. You get it, right? We go as one. No break offs. So let's talk about Israel's fail. We're going to talk a little bit more about this. Joshua says, Lord, whenever people complain that God, I always hear it in an, in an African voice. Um, I always hear it in an African voice. He's going, they're literally going saying, hey, hey, hey. You know, Nigerians, I'm sorry, I'm not Nigerian. If you're Nigerian, forgive me. But you know when you watch those Nigerian films and something has happened, I someone's just like, hey. Hey! Yeah. Like, literally, like, this is what I see. You want to kill me? He's like, lying on the ground. Hey! What are you? God, looking at God, going, What have you done? They're going to destroy us. Those, they, those people are all going to destroy us. They can see what's happened. AI is a small little town, and those guys have destroyed us. <coughs> What are you going to do about your good name? He says to God. (laughs) Hmm? Did you not see this coming, Lord? Father, where were you? It's complete nonsense. God says to him, my friend, this is not on me. This is on you. He says, get up. This is not the time to indulge in religious ceremony and lengthy praise. You know, sometimes when you're just like people, people... People are praying and crying and I don't know what to do. And it's like, what do you mean you don't know what to do? You know, someone is in sin and they're busy coming to ask for counsel. And you're like, you, you, it's, it's, you just stop it. Just stop it. Just stop it. This is what's happening. Poor Joshua doesn't know. He didn't know that there was sin. He, he just needed to be told. But this is the situation. God is saying to him, stop it. Get up. Sort out the sin. We are dealing with a holy God And this holy God was severely displeased. He uses so many words in his description of what Israel has done. He uses the word sin, chata, which means to miss the mark. You didn't quite get there. He uses the word transgression, pesha, which is a willful disobedience against God. He uses the word ma'al, which is a trespass, a covert rebellion, underground. All these things God is seeing Israel doing in this one act. They've messed up royally. He uses this phrase, this man has done an outrageous thing in Israel. There is one place before this where that phrase is used. An outrageous thing in Israel. I'll use a term which will not be too offensive. There was a woman called Dinah who was defiled. A daughter of Jacob, a daughter of Israel. He was defiled by a man called Hamor the Hivite. And that phrase, that you've done an outrageous thing in Israel, was used then exact same term. And this is how God sees it. It's like you've defiled my daughter. This is what you've done. An outrageous thing in Israel. Achan, son of Kami, son of Zabdi, son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, did something outrageous in Israel. Israel have just entered into a covenant of circumcision with God. They're a new generation of Israel. They've had one victory. I don't know if this is meaning something. There's a prophetic... uh... Thank you. Thanks, my love. So, where are we? Yes, they've had one victory and then they fail. They've had a covenant of circumcision. Remember that thing where they all got circumcised, like everyone? And the the, the the covenant dictates that they are his people. This is what that covenant dictates. Every time they went to the loo or went to bed, every time they, they got ready to do intimate things and they're strict and they can see themselves every time. They are reminded to whom they belong. Because something has changed on them. Something has changed which reminds them that there is one to whom they belong. This far, this group of men have been different to their forefathers. There's not the same grumbling group of people that left Egypt. It's a different group. They crossed the Jordan exactly as prescribed. Exactly as he said they should do it, they did it. They were circumcised exactly as he said they should do it. They took Jericho exactly as they said he should do it, kind of nearly not quite. They thought they did. We get so much repetition as we read through Joshua for a reason. You get to hear what God told Joshua. You get to hear what Joshua told the people that God told him. You get to hear what the people actually did in response to what Joshua told them God told him that they should do. Repeated. You keep yourselves from the things devoted to destruction, lest when you have devoted them, you take any of the devoted things and make the camp of Israel a thing for destruction and bring trouble upon it. But all silver, gold, and every vessel of bronze and iron are holy to the Lord. They shall go into the treasury of the Lord. It is very clear. Everyone heard it. We heard it a few times. Gold, silver, bronze, iron, treasury of the Lord. Everything else, you destroy. But one guy. One guy. Actually, let me not lie. I was very surprised that it was just one guy. I I don't know about you, but I'm just thinking, in a general Population of however many hundreds of thousands. I would, you'd expect to have a report, like in other news, a group of men were found with devoted things and have been held. You know what I mean? Like, you'd think it would be a group of... One guy. Achan. The Troubler. His name means the one who brings trouble. That's what Ahan means. The Troubler. I'm just thinking that when they were reading, when God was saying, what are the words they used? <laughs> Camp of Israel, a thing for destruction, and bring trouble upon it. So they would have been speaking Hebrew, so they would have said, Bring Ahan upon it. Wouldn't they? I just, if I was Joshua, I'd be like, Isn't there a guy called Ahan here? Like, maybe we should just not take him along. Like, his actual name is trouble, and we are going with, oh my gosh. Son of Kami, son of Zabdi, son of Zerah of the tribe of Judah. His lineage is repeated over and over again. He saw, he desired, and he took. The journey to sin is always the same, the result is always death. Eve saw and desired and took. David saw and desired and took. James 1, 13 to 15 says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, this is the point. Desire is a thing. People have it. It's just standard. But don't let it conceive, because when it conceives, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is fully grown, it brings forth death. The end is always the same. Ahan's sin brought death. Sadly, his death affected 36 families. About. The Bible actually says about 36. It's very annoying. It's like, my husband does that a lot. Like, if I say to him, what time is it? And he'll say, it's about 2.17. That's not about. That is exactly two seventeen. If you're gonna use phrases like about, you need to like round off to the next ten or to the next five. It's about two fifteen or it's a it's a you know, it's about two o'clock. You do that all you do do that all the time. You use the phrase about or around and then you say thirty two or it weighs about 38.7 kilos. Do you know what I mean? It's not about, it's precise. The Bible says about 36 <coughs> families. It's not about 40 families or about 35. It says 36. To me, that's not rounded off. That's specifically 36 men were killed. 36 families were affected. 36 sets of wives and children and households that are left without protection. It's a big deal. God does this weird thing when he sifts out this exposure method where he says, gather everybody and then get out the tribe and then get out the clan. And I wonder that I, I look there and I think why why would he do that? Why this slow exposure? If if you are a Han and you hear that there's been a sin in the camp and then you're all being told that you're going to consecrate yourselves and then you have to gather and then a particular tribe is going to be pulled out which contains the one and then out of that and you're watching going along yeah Judah yeah all right yeah and you're coming along your clan is pulled out you're like yeah yeah you're, you know you know what's coming right and then all your family step back and you're left, you're like the only one on the line. What have you been doing all this time? Because I'm just thinking that maybe that God did this so that you can give him an opportunity to confess. You, you, you know what was coming. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The God that I know, he's always stalling. He's always stalling. Maybe Ahan could have just come up and said, dude, it was me. And maybe his life might have been spared. I don't know. But I just think it's weird that, that there's this process. And maybe it's just so that we can see how God knew exactly where he was and what tribe he was coming from. Akhan chose to hold back and he was horrifically exposed in front of everyone. He was burned and he was stoned with stones. I find that's a strange phrase. What else? Stoned with stones. Anyway, that's that's just my mind. And then he had another stones heaped upon him. This stoning from the whole community is because the whole community was defiled. That's how it works. So everybody stones so that everybody can be purified, and there's no single person that carries the weight of being the executioner. This is how this justice was carried out. This is not a civil offence for which one man was held responsible. This is an origi- a, a religious offence which defiles the camp, and this is why everything that belongs to him had to be burned and stoned as well. Now, some people say that, okay, well, maybe it's because his family knew, because how are you going to hide all that stuff in the ground under your tent? You had to have taken time to dig the hole and put everything in. Where was your wife? Where was your son? Didn't they see you doing that? Everyone must have known, so they're all held accountable, maybe. But even if they were not accountable, the word was, everything that is his, everything that has touched him, everything that is close to him, is defiled and must be taken out. And so the long string of description of everything that got taken, from donkeys to camels to sons and daughters. Sons and daughters in the same sentence as camels and, and tents. It just seems bizarre to me, but if it's his, it had to go. And for what? For what's the equivalent? Probably about £35,000 now, although back then it would have been the whole wage of a person. Um, those, those shekels of silver and gold... And a a Babylonian robe, by the way. That Shinar, that robe from Shinar. Shinar is the same place where the Tower of Babel was built, by the way. That Babel, that representation of rebellious mankind sorting himself out and not waiting for the blessing and the victory that God had designed. And here's this man that takes this cloak, because I think that means something. The Bible doesn't just mention, why would it mention where the cloak was from? It, It wants you to get something his cloak is from this place This represents mankind trying to work out sort himself out the best way that he sees fit and if he had rather waited for the blessing and the victory that god had designed he would have spared his life <laughs> and he would have gained a lot more plunder spoiler alert chapter 8 i don't know if he's preaching it here you go i'm spoiling chapter 8 they defeat ai And they get everything they want. There's none of this, take some off for the Lord, burn everything. The Lord says, take. Divide amongst yourselves. If he had just held back, battle number two, he would have had whatever he wanted. But he's trying to sort himself out. He's doing a Babylon. Hmm. But to God, Israel is one. This numpty brought about a significant consequence with ramifications throughout the nations, one man. We cannot stand before the task that God has for us if we do not separate ourselves from the things which are incompatible with a holy God. He will not even tolerate our religious grieving. If you are not separated from those things that are incompatible with a holy God, and when you have them, you know them, You cannot stand against your enemy while you harbour sin. We have an enemy, a serious enemy. And when you harbour sin and you are keeping it in secret, your breastplate of righteousness has dropped down and you are exposed and he can get your heart and he can get your will and he rubs away at your conscience and you just go down a slippery slope. Last Sunday evening, the encounter evening, Last Sunday, if any of you went to that, it was absolutely phenomenal. And there was a massive call to repentance, a massive call to holiness. That's what we did. People were just on their knees because that was what we felt God was doing. We have a task ahead of us. We are planning to take ground and we're planning to hold ground. And I'll tell you something, we cannot stand and do that task if we do not separate ourselves from the things that are incompatible with a holy God. This is where it gets real. If you've got stuff that is, is is getting in the way, remember that God sees Israel as one. We're busy praying. Let's let's take Medway for Jesus. Let's get the Medway Valley. If you are in this church, what you're doing is saying, okay, let that lot go. Because I obviously I'm messed up, I'm not right. Incompatible with a holy God? You need to separate yourself from it. When Israel chose to break covenant, they became the same as those devoted to destruction. Let me tell you something, that without the covenant that we have, We are as those devoted to destruction. It's harsh. God is no respecter of persons or race or culture. It doesn't matter that you come from a long line of wonderful missionaries. Well done. God has no allegiance. We heard it in Joshua 15 and Joe talked about it last week. A man stood before him with his drawn sword in his hand, and Joshua went to him and said, Are you for us or for our adversities, adversaries? And he said, No, but I am the commander of the army of the Lord, and now I have come. Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshipped, and said to him, What does my Lord say to his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take off your sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing. Is God is for his purposes and no one else. That encounter, God was telling Joshua, get this straight, I'm not for you and I'm not for my adversaries. I have a plan of redemption that I started from the time of your father Abraham and I have a plan that I will execute. You choose, if you're inside the covenant then you are within the line of my purposes. And yeah, you will find that I will be with you. But if you're outside of that, I will not be with you. So come AI, that covenant was broken. They had no cover. And they became the same as those devoted to destruction. They became kherem. This covenant of circumcision, whether it be of the foreskin or of the heart, It dictates that those set apart for the Lord will truly have the Lord on their side. God said to Abraham, I'm your shield. Your reward will be great. The Lord will be on our side. But I think, in fact, that circumcision should draw us to a place where we hear the Lord ask us on a daily basis, Audrey, are you for me or for my adversary? Where are you? Our covenant is what determines where in that original plan of redemption we lie. Are we the chosen, mightily blessed and charged with taking ground? Or are we those that are devoted for destruction? is just, just an either or. Achan, named, known by God, identifiable as a child of Israel, chose to despise the terms of his circumcision, chose to despise what was set apart for the Lord. He was pulled out of the tribe of Judah, out of the promises set out for Israel, and he was stoned, burned, and turned to a pile of rocks, just like Jericho, devoted to destruction. He, the Israelite, Israelite became a Canaanite, literally pulled out of Judah, visually, pulled out of Judah, <coughs> stoned like Jericho. Rahab, she was a Canaanite, who because of her lineage was devoted for destruction. And she chose to be set apart for the Lord, chose to be amongst those circumcised, and the Lord was for her. And he grafted her in to the great tribe of Judah into the promises that were for Israel. She was grafted into an, a lineage that is incomparable because out of her came our great Redeemer. Yes. This sovereign God is so full of grace. He does turn from his anger when people redirect themselves to him. That place, the, the Valley of Achor. Named because Akhor means trouble. It is the place where Achan was buried. Later on in the word of God, you see that place being turned around. In In Isaiah 65, the same place is spoken about as a place of future prosperity. In Hosea 2, he describes it as a glimmer of hope in the midst of trouble. The same place associated with defeat and downfall becomes later a place of triumph. This is the God that we serve. He is a God of grace. He will turn things around. Things that are devoted to destruction will can be changed around. Joshua 7 demonstrates clearly God's principles, but not his pattern. Because we see so clearly that his pattern is grace. It's expressed so clearly on the cross, where Jesus died so that everyone devoted to destruction had a way out into life and blessing. Achan received God's justice for his sin under the hand of his leader, Joshua, Yeshua, Yehoshua. And he died. We, by contrast, receive mercy for our sin under the hand of our Yehoshua, the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't have to die. We get to live And live life abundant. Amen? If you are here, and and I'll say this because I know this is recorded and, and I don't know what everyone's heart is, but if you're here and you're perhaps understanding for the first time the reality of God's plan for redemption, his plan to rescue mankind from the destruction that they deserve... Perhaps you're understanding for the first time that you are either under the covenant that gives life or you are under the blueprint for destruction. I'm so excited to tell you that the life-giving covenant is available to you through this Lord Jesus Christ who died the death that should have been all of ours so that we can have blessing and life. Amen.